This morning we're going to be in the book of Colossians. So if you would in your Bible, whether that be on your device or the pew Bible in front of you, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. I do not have a PowerPoint this morning. Just too much going on. Colossians chapter 3. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation primarily, but I'll be bouncing into uh, the New International Version as well as a little bit of King James at the end. So kind of using a couple different translations. And the thing that stuck out to me in this passage first and foremost was the first word, at least in the NIV and the New Living Translation, is the word since. And it didn't hit me until about 10 minutes ago. So if it feels like I'm shooting from the hip right now, I am. Um, since it seems like an insignificant word, but it's a really, really powerful word to understand the context of these first four verses in chapter three, Paul's basically saying, if you are claiming this identity, if you are claiming this is what you believe in chapters one and chapter two, reader of the letter to the Colossians, if you are claiming this as you owning it since And then the following verses. Follow along as I read. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. At work, I teach in the elementary school. Many of you know that already. And I teach kindergarten through sixth grade. I see every single student every single week for about 35 minutes. It's kind of like a teaser of being the favorite uncle or a grandfather because I get to see every kid and then I get to see them leave too. Um, Homeroom teachers don't necessarily have that blessing because that's your class. That's your roster. So I get to see the the good, the bad, and the ugly. And um, some people might take offense to that because they're children, but... Um, I'll just be realistic, um, because of some of the struggles that some kids face, whether that's, uh, by their own choosing or environmental is for another conversation. But one of the things that we do in my class, I teach, uh, STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. And I expose kids to different things in those, uh, categories. You can kind of think of it as a mix between pre computer programming as well as pre shop kind of morphed together into a mindset of learning. One of my favorite things to do, especially with kindergarten, is uh, when we get out virtual reality kits. And if you're not familiar with virtual reality, it's basically you put on a pair of ski goggles, you slide a smartphone into that device, and you are seeing things that are not actually in front of you. It allows kids to experience different places around the world without having to leave a classroom. One of my favorite things to do is we, I introduce this to kindergarten typically every year, and we go to a dinosaur museum because most kids love dinosaurs. This past this year, I had a, I guess this would have been last year now that I think of it. Last year, I had a little boy, uh, and don't take offense to this, anybody, fire engine, red hair, freckles, just full of vinegar, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, we went to it, and I, I kind of gave him a forewarning that they might see some images that startle you. Not this kid. He was all about it. You know, and he was saying dinosaur names that he could neither pronounce nor could I, but he knew exactly what they were. Just beside this little guy was a little blonde-haired girl with 
with uh, curls, just adorable as they can become. And she would put them up to her face, and then she would immediately take it down. Put them up, put it down. And she had this look of terror. Like in her little brain, she could not figure out that what she was seeing was not actually there. So I went over to her and I said, sweetheart, you know, what's going on? And she said, I don't know, Mr. T. I don't know. Like it kind of bothers me a little bit. And I had to reassure her that what she was seeing was not real. Now I have to give credit where credit is due. I'm thankful to Steve Shields, number one, for a bunch of different reasons. One of the reasons why I'm thankful for our pastors, because he introduced me to a Bible teacher by the name of John Piper. And that's where the bulk of my, my message comes from today is teachings from him as well as several other people, but primarily from Piper. And it helped me make sense of what Paul is saying here. The apostle Paul begins this third chapter to the letter of the church in Colossae. And he, and he, what he says is that Paul is pulling back the curtain. He's pulling back the, the, the covering of what is unbelievable. And this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable unless you own the word since. This does not make sense to you. This reality is not legitimate in your very core unless you own that word since in verse 1. No other source on the planet in the best libraries of the world, there's no other source that can reveal such real realities than what Paul is touching upon here in the Bible. These realities are so astounding that they should change you radically. These first four four verses remind us that our mindset, our disposition, has been violently shaken by the reality of our position of Christ. Excuse me, our position because of Christ, because we are hidden in Christ. This mindset then launches us onto a pathway of obedience that flows from it. Now, I'm not going to spend my time in verses 5 through chapter 4, verse 6. That's that's where it launches you. And and so many teachers go that direction. You know, they want to focus on verses 5 where it says about mortify this, mortify this, kill this in your life, kill it. And what that, I want us all to leave here today feeling like the wind has been put back into our sails because of the reality that we own. I don't want you going home today feeling like you've gotten beaten over the head with the Bible of what you can and cannot do. That just, that's a, that's a uh, dangerous road to, towards legalism. But in these first four verses, what Paul is showing us at least through Piper's interpretation and my relay, is that there are realities that present themselves in these first four verses. Five realities specifically. And then there's an attitude shift and then a pathway of obedience. Follow along with me. The first reality that we see in verses one through four is the reality of God himself. I don't know about you, but I'm really thankful that God is real, that he is alive. Because without an objective, self-existent reality of God, none of these four verses matter, and none of the verses after it, nor any of the verses in front of it, mean beings. Without the objective, self-existent reality of God existing outside of me and you, all we're doing is religious make-believe this morning. Life is vastly more complicated than a simple division of theists, people who believe in God and atheists. But sadly, there are 
there are theists funneling into churches and other places, places of worship regularly that don't know God. They believe in the idea of God. The power of myth. And the God myth is probably the most powerful one of them all. And I think this might be where Paul was going a little bit in 2 Corinthians when he talks about how Satan himself, the enemy of your soul, disguises himself as an angel of light. See, when Paul says at God's right hand, look back at the text with me, please. When Paul says that at God's right hand, or later in verse 3, that your life is hidden with Christ in God, he doesn't say that Christ is at the idea of God, nor is he hidden in Christ in the myth of God. He is saying that God is real. And he, and he, and he backs that up in chapter 1 of this same book. We're given fundamental truths about God. He has an eternal, uncreated image of himself. That's verse 15 of chapter 1. By God's Son, all of creation is held in existence. That's verse 17. He infinitely loves his Son, Christ, and sent him into the world to pay for the ransom of sin for all of us. That's verse 20. See, God is not the imagination of the world. It wasn't something concocted by human minds. God spoke the world into existence with creation, not the other way around. That's the first reality. The second reality is that Christ is at God's right hand. Christ is above. Now, he's not just above the clouds in some of outer space. He is absolutely above all of creation. The same Christ is mentioned in Colossians 1.19, that God dwells within and reconciles everything through his son. This is the same Christ who with the joy set before him endured and bore the punishment for all of us, including me, at Calvary, and to rise again on Easter Sunday. And he's seated right now, just like you are seated. He is seated at the right hand of God. He's not below God. He's not above God. He sits at the right hand of God, acting as God, and God is acting through him, Colossians 1. He made the things that we can see as well as the things that we can't see, the unseen. And these unseen things, like Peter tells us later in the Bible, are under his feet. Fifteen years ago, I student taught at Brockway Elementary School in kindergarten. That was exciting, Sue Fulton. My mentor at the time was probably in her early to mid-60s, and she had done this for about 30 years or so. She had this slogan she would say to me repeatedly. She'd say, Josh, teachers do not sit down until Friday afternoon. Teachers do not sit down until Friday afternoon. Now, keep in mind, at this time, I'm relatively new, newly married. I'm driving back and forth to Clarence for classes. I'm student teaching. I'm trying to be a good husband, you know, all these things. So I'm dog tired, needless to say. And I'm chasing little ones around that I don't really understand and probably still don't, to, to be, if I'm brutally honest with you. But she would say to me, Josh, no sitting down until Friday afternoon. No sitting down until Friday afternoon. She was communicating to me that there is always work to be done. There's always work to be done. No sitting around. There's work to be finished. But Christ sits at the right hand of God. It is finished. The author of Hebrews put it this way in chapter 1. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by his mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he, meaning Christ, sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Christ 
is seated. And Paul would tell us also in Ephesians that we who are in Christ are seated there with him. Ephesians chapter 2. Christ is seated. There's no work to be done. He took care of it. It is finished. Reality number one, God himself. Reality number two, Christ is seated at God's right hand. The third reality, death is left behind. The third reality that Paul unveils to us is that as a believer in Christ, that sense keeps coming up. That if you are a believer in Christ, your death is behind you. You have already died. And your life is not what the world thinks it is. It's actually hidden from the world right now. Even though you see me standing here, even though when you look across the aisle, you see people there, that person is hidden from you right now. The real them. Colossians 3, take a look at it. Colossians 3 says, you have died. The worst is behind you. The death that Jesus bore on the cross, that brutal death, when you have said, yes, Jesus, I accept you, you likewise have died. Colossians 3, 1a. If you have, you have been raised with Christ, the same resurrection that Jesus went through, you have already done. Colossians 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are hidden with Christ. That, that hiddenness is as secure as a union is with the Father and the Son. We are hidden. The reason why I said these realities are true of you is because of what it says in Colossians 2. Can you flip over to Colossians 2, verse 12, with your eyes or your fingers? In Colossians 2, 12, it says that, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Baptism signifies by immersion in water, and then the coming up out of the water, that we have died. That we were buried and we rose with Christ. We just had a baptism service, what, two months ago. We saw that symbolism right in front of us. Paul leaves no question at all that the tool of the Spirit used there that unites us with Christ is faith. It's through faith in the powerful working of God. We died and we rose with Christ. This is one of the greatest realities in the universe. That every believer has passed from death to to life, 1 John 3. Your most terrible experience of death is behind you. And I say that with all sensitivity. I think most of you know me well enough that I don't just say these words carelessly. The worst is behind you. What you're going through now, your death with Christ, that was the worst. And it's behind you. And, and likewise... The most glorious experience of life ahead of you is not an Alaskan cruise to see Glacier Bay. It's not chasing bull elk in the bitter roots. Heck, it's not even next summer's Kernzel Days parade. Your, the most glorious experience for you is in front of you. No matter how horrible the suffering and death that awaits all of us, it's nothing compared to what lied behind you, lies behind you. And no matter how static the life experiences that this world tries to offer, none of them are compared to what is hidden with Christ and God awaiting you. Now, getting a hold of this reality, you can kind of see it as, as Piper says, it's like brackets, right? You have this death behind you on this side. And then over here, you have this glorious revealing 
But life happens in here. And this is where you're hidden. The glory is hidden. Your death in Christ is hidden. Your resurrection is hidden. The true you, your true life, that will be so much glorious in this present life, is hidden. We say all the time in the church that we walk by faith, not by sight. But 2 Corinthians kind of gives us this idea that faith kind of has this way of seeing things. But it doesn't really replace that hiddenness. God himself is the first reality. Jesus is seated at his right hand as the second one. Death is the third one. The fourth one, and this is the one I'm so excited for. Christ will be revealed. Christ is here now. Make no mistake. He is right now reigning in the world. None of us can lift a finger apart from Jesus Christ. President Biden can't sign another executive order apart from Jesus Christ. World War III is going to ignite in Eastern Europe according to Jesus Christ. We have no, no say in that. I will live to the end of this message or not, according to the will of Christ. He is here. But this is the mystery, though. The mystery is, this will not always be so. Let me explain. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. The hiddenness will come to an end. All those who thought is, all that matters is our ideas of God. If it makes you feel good and makes you a good person, so be it. All that matters is the power of myth and the pleasures of imagination. Sadly, all those people will cry out for the mountains and the stones to bury them, to hide them from Christ when he reveals himself. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 2. Jesus is coming. Good alliance people, we live it. We breathe it. We believe it. He is coming. He will appear. And all the hiddenness of his presence, all of his power, will be over. I can't wait. Fifth reality. We will be revealed. You will appear with him in glory. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. To be sure, Jesus said that we should let our light shine, right? We're not supposed to just sit back and wait. But no one did more good deeds, more glorious deeds towards God than Jesus Christ in his time here on earth. And some people glorified him because of it. The rest of them killed him. And I think this is what Peter is telling us, that we should really not expect any better. Think it not strange, Peter says, when the fiery ordeals come upon you. It's not strange. It's actually part of the hiddenness of this glory, of your glory, my glory. And think about what Jesus told John the Baptist's disciples. He said, blessed are you who are not offended by me. So yes, let us seek to reflect the glory of God now in all that we do. Jesus gave us that commission. But what a defeated and hopeless life we would live if we thought, this is my real life. This is it. And trust me, people, I know it feels like home, right? When I woke up this morning and realized that our blower had shut off on our boiler temporarily and my house was 52 degrees, my home was cold. But uh, thankfully, we got that fixed. But it's not my home.
If this is my real life, this measure of holiness, this measure of purity, the measure of Godwardness, if I'm thinking this is the real me, then I'm mistaken. This is not the real me. When Christ, who is your life, the creator of your life, the sustainer of your life, the redeemer of your life, the pattern of your life, the treasure of of your life, if you have taken a hold of that since in verse 1, when he appears, then and only then will it appear who you really are. For you will shine like the sun when you appear with him in glory. These are the five realities that Paul gives us in those first four verses. The reality of God himself. The reality that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That death is left behind. That Christ will be revealed. And that we also will be revealed. But then, look what he does here. Paul says in these same verses, he calls for us to have a certain kind of mindset. A disposition, a temperament that conforms or shapes around these realities. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Now, I think what Paul is saying here is get your head wrapped around these five realities. Don't jump ahead to verse five and start checking off the list. Get your mind wrapped around these realities. That all of our ideas or behaviors, institutions, should be wrapped around this. But there's a problem here with translating this verse. And here's the problem. Is that you can set your mind on something and not like it or agree with it. There are things that we have to conform to that we don't agree with. And that is not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying play make, you know, play pretend. I think this is what he was getting at in Philippians 2 when he said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mindset, this attitude, this disposition, this way of thinking and feeling to respond to what Christ had done. Let your thinking, the way that you process your experiences, may this thinking be in alignment to your heart and your heart is in perfect alignment to these five realities. Let the way of seeing the world, thinking about the world, feeling about the world, be shaped and governed by these realities. My final point. Paul points us to a pathway that leads to this mindset. Here's kind of like the application then. The King James said it this way in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek. This is the pathway to the mindset shaped by the things above. You seek them. You pursue them. You chase them. You track them down. You gaze at them. You dig into them. In the morning, you're seeking. In the afternoon, you're seeking. In the evening, you're seeking. When you're laying down in bed and you're like, I can't sleep, seek them. Treasure them. This isn't a passive experience. This is not a passive exercise. No one gains the mindset of heaven passively. You seek it or you have the possibility of not having it. My basketball program right now that I'm a part of, we're coach, we are chasing a PIAA state championship. If I, as a coach, am not seeking this for my players, my players will never be put in a position to possibly attain that accolade. It's impossible. But beware seekers of heaven, because we're not chasing basketball trophies. The only seeking that succeeds is the seeking 
of heaven by those who are already dead. The only seeking of life hidden with Christ in God is the seeking by those whose life is hidden with Christ in God. You're not seeking to make the death happen or for the life to happen. You are seeking because it's already happened. Colossians 3.3, 3, you have died. Colossians 3.1, you've been raised. You're not seeking this death. That's behind you. We already talked about that. You're not seeking this resurrection. That's also behind you. You have died. You have raised. That is the basis of the seeking, not the object of your seeking. It's the very essence of Christian effort. We seek and we crave and we pursue these realities that are above because we are above. Let me say this as I wrap up. The pathway to the mindset is shaped by the realities that are above is relentless, passionate seeking. Seek the realities that are above. They're found in the word. They're found in Colossians 3, and they're all over the Bible. Do it with an active pursuit. Don't be passive. Find them. Meditate on them. Treasure them. Until your whole way of thinking is in alignment with your heart, which points back to these five realities. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that these foundational truths are there for us. We thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us on the cross. We thank you that in your mysterious, amazing, loving grace, that you bore that punishment on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. That you walked out of that tomb. Yeah. And that you are alive today, seated at the right hand of Father. That you, God, are real. That our death is behind us and a glorious resurrection awaits us. The real us will be unveiled, un, un, uncovered. We will be revealed just as you will reveal yourself at your second coming. So God, I pray for us, everybody in this room, everybody that's, that's watching and listening, that our minds would be in alignment with our hearts of faith that would be directed and pointed at these realities and that we would pursue and seek you in all that we do. In your name I pray, amen.